Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Tuesday, March 10th, and you know what that means. It's Tuesday in the attic, and Tuesdays in the attic mean lowercase letters, small show. I hope you all didn't think we went a little overboard, AJ and I, Aaron Gentle and I, last week. I know it was a significant runtime. It can be intimidating to look down at your phone and see that your friend's podcast, that really at this point you're just listening to out of support for me, maybe. Look down and see, oh, Aaron Gentle, that's another name I know. I'd like to listen to that, and then you see that it's over 100 minutes long. And for those of you who are a little bit less inclined in math, that's an hour and 40 minutes. And that's a long time. That's a long time. But the reality is AJ and I talked for more like four hours that day. And if I had half a mind, I would release the whole damn raw audio for you. I think there's a, there would be a lot of value in that, but I, I also was trying to manage the expectations and manage the reactions of the listeners so that they didn't see the, the lengthy runtime and say, all right, nice work, Kirk. Let me know on your next project so I don't have to commit so much time. I understand that, too. I understand that. In fact, I'm trying to build this podcast up in a way that's trying to resolve a lot of the issues that I've seen myself as a podcast fan and a podcast listener. Bill Burr is one of my favorite comedians, one of my favorite podcasters. But there are times where I look down and see an hour 20 from him and think, oh, I just don't know if I've got the time or the energy to have Bill Burr shout at me, gross! Ladies! He does a lot of that kind of stuff. It's hilarious. But you don't always need 80 minutes of it. In the production team here at the Attic... I could rephrase that. I am trying to help that help you out with that. So if you give me the length of your interviews, give it a listen. Try and understand the perspective and the, the type of conversation that I like having. Work your way through it. It's a Friday anyway. None of you are, are really productive like you were earlier in the week at work. So shut down the PC. Pretend like you're working. And listen to a lengthy interview with whoever it is that, I've, that I'm interviewing. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. What the fuck? Is this guy going to interview white males every week? I promise you I'm not. I promise you I'm not. In fact, I'm going to mix it up here the next couple weeks. We're going to get some different ethnic backgrounds up in the attic. We're going to have a different gender up in the attic. It's not that I want to only interview white men. Quite frankly, that's the last demographic I want to interview. But by God, my life is just saturated with white men. Feels like Congress up in this life. So help me out if you all know anybody, and even if you know a white man that's got an interesting story, but if you know anyone that's got an interesting story, find a way to get him in contact with me. It's at a talk in the attic, at Instagram, at Facebook, at Twitter. There's no excuse to not get in touch with me. It's a big day in Michigan, though. It's March 10th. That means today's the, the open primary, which means Democrats and Republicans alike will be getting in their cars to go vote for their favorite or, in some cases, least favorite candidate, depending on which political persuasion you tend to prefer. I'm not going to sit here and tell you who to go vote for. Go vote. Some people, like Aaron from last week, believe that uh, voting in and of itself can send the wrong message, and I understand that perspective. I'm not going to say that that's a wrong perspective. He deserves to have that perspective after what he's done for the country. 
I personally am going to go. In fact, yesterday, Jessica and I went to the Bernie rally down at Calder Plaza, a nice outdoor plaza in Grand Rapids. And I'm going to be honest with you, it was too political. You know, like, come on, enough, enough of the politics. I also noticed something else while I was there. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Bernie. I'm inspired by his consistency and his honesty. I'm less inspired by his policy. That's okay, though. I'm voting for something different. I'm not voting for the policy. I'm voting for the fact that this is a guy that has stood with the oppressed for his whole career. And yeah, he bought a lake house now in his 70s. Big fucking deal. Can't do that? (laughs) Fuck. But I will tell you this. If we do find ourselves in a civil war, which some of the alarmists have been saying for decades, but should that really go down, I don't have a ton of confidence in the Bernie squad. It's not the toughest looking crowd around. It looks like the kind of crowd that you might want to party with, maybe even put an orgy together with. Lots of young, alternative people, energetic. But man, soft crowd. We saw the Trump crowd when they did their rally outside of our apartment last year. That crowd is ready to throw down. That crowd is ready to throw down on a three-word chant at a moment's notice. Lock her up four more years. Grab that puss. And they'll fucking fight right on the street. The Bernie people, my God, was it a soft crowd. And that, Like I said, that's a good crowd to be around. But not when there's combat involved. Now, don't get me wrong. It does position me in such a way that I'll probably be able to rise to general of this army of misfits in a relatively short manner. But I'm not interested in being a general of the misfits. I'm not interested in being the general of anything. Speaking of the general, what about those insurance commercials with the general? It seems like they put so much money into that little CGI cartoon guy, but then the rest of the commercial is just whack. Bad acting, bad cinematography, bad audio. It's like they blew their whole budget on the CGI general. Furthermore, they make it seem like anyone under the sun can qualify for the general when my friend Tom, who was my insurance agent, dropped the ball and failed to tell me that my insurance was canceled because of a payment issue. I had switched debit cards and the automatic payment stopped going through. And my insurance agent failed to let me know. It's 2018 at this point. The only reason I have an insurance agent is to let me know when something goes wrong. It's not like I really need you to find the marketplace. I can do that. I know about the general, for God's sake. And not only did my coverage lapse, but once you have a lapse in coverage, his particular company... Couldn't cover me for the next six-month period. <laughs> so who do, you, who do you think I called? You're goddamn right. I called the general. Come to the general. You save some time. Denied. Denied. How, how low can one man fall on the totem pole? My God. The fucking general. But guess who was there to pick me up? And for this, I'll, for, I'll forever owe her. You've got it, Flo. Flo, thank you so much for taking me in, explaining Broadford coverage, covering me. That general, he's a dick, man. Thanks, Flo. You're the shit, Flo. No one ever talks about you. Sorry for the distraction, but my God, I felt like I had to share that. So I guess there's a message of hope in here as well. Even at rock bottom, when the general himself won't cover you, 
there is a fish out there for you. Somehow you can get coverage. But if you're not covered, and if the general's saying no, hey, no, maggot, laps in coverage, not on my watch, not in this barracks. Fuck, I felt like I had to call Aaron General and try and get some advice on how to deal with this guy. From one Sergeant G to the general of insurance. But if you can get covered, get covered. You have to, you're supposed to. It's, it's a law. And if you're in Essexville or Bay City, there's even fucking crooked cops driving around, typing in people's license plates to see if you're covered. And if you're not, they're going to pull you over just so they can nab you. That's going on. Some of you people on that area, let me know the name of that cop. I want to put him on blast. No one is safe in the attic. Not the dress barn. Not the general. Certainly not this crooked cop looking for people who are uninsured. While we were at the Bernie rally, though, there was a pretty special guest. No matter where you lean, this is a man of vital importance in the, in the civil rights movement. And continued through the civil rights movement. I, I'd hate to suggest that the civil rights movement ended or something in the 1960s because it certainly didn't. But he was there with MLK. He was there during the Rodney King era. That is kind of the caricature that I remember him as. And that's Jesse Jackson, the Reverend Jesse Jackson. He's quite old now. It took him a while to get from the edge of the stage out to the lectern. Took some support as well. And he spoke a little bit less clearly than he used to. But once he got into a rhythm, this guy was so moving. I had tears streaming down my cheeks. And it, it wasn't just because of what he was saying, by the way. I, I was less impressed by that and more impressed by, look at this guy. He's in his 70s, probably 80s now. He was with Martin Luther King Jr. He's still out here fighting for people. And whether you agree with the message or not doesn't really fucking interest me, and it shouldn't really interest you. You, you should be able to separate someone's body of work and the content of that work. And he's up there going through this speech and moving the shit out of me. Holy smokes, I was bawling. Much more moved by what he was saying than when Bernie got up there. And certainly much more moved by what, what he said than what the cast of C-list supporting actors they had that came out before him were. Other than Abdul Al-Sayed, the former Michigan gubernatorial candidate who I was really impressed with. He's got a future for sure, holy shit. That guy could captivate a crowd, but... Jesse Jackson got up there, and he's talking about his message and his life and all of that, but he got into a rhythm at one point where it worked because we were all repeating after him, so it had like a kind of a cool unifying feeling, but it also allowed him to breathe, and I thought to myself, why not? I have trouble with my breathing. I have to edit out a lot of my... So I started thinking, let's try the Jesse Jackson method for a little bit this week in the attic. It'll reverberate well through the rafters. So repeat after me. Welcome to the attic. Well, we can have fun. Well, we can have fun. Well, we can talk shit. Talk shit. We're going to rise up. We're going to rise up. And we're going to talk shit. We're going to talk shit. We're going to rise up. We're going to rise up. Welcome to, welcome to the attic, the attic, the attic, the attic. We shall prevail, prevail, prevail.
And while all you guys were repeating after me, well, I hope some of you did that. I can imagine a few of you doing it. Mean Gene, you know what I'm talking about. But what you didn't realize is while I was doing that, I was breathing like a savage. I felt like Michael Phelps between every one of those. You guys were yelling, praise me. And I was over here going, <gasps> some of you may be wondering about my pulmonary and cardiological health, and that's probably a fair thing to say, a fair concern. Do you guys remember that thing on YouTube that was one of the classic videos that first came out that kind of first captivated the nation of trolls? And that was the chocolate rain. I'm to bump a bump chocolate rain. Do you remember that thing? Embedded in that crazy video was a, an actual subtitle at one point that showed how he would turn his mouth to the side, like Michael Phelps breathing underwater, would turn his mouth to the side away from the mic to breathe. So I actually referenced the chocolate rain guy in my head an awful lot. There's all sorts of things from my past that I referenced an awful lot. And as I get older and older, I, I realize more and more how some of those early impressions and those early exposures to things set the tone for a lifetime of for a lifetime of preconceptions that in some cases informed me correctly and in many cases informed me completely incorrectly. Let's go back to the Jesse Jackson example. I remembered him as the Rodney King guy, and my exposure to him was that he was a race baiter, and I had no idea what that meant. I remember seeing him on In Living Color, and I remember him seeing him being parodied on Saturday Night Live. And so in my head, he was an unserious guy who was just trying to get in front of the camera for the wrong reasons or something. And even though my perspective on that sort of thing has changed significantly through experiences and through meeting people of color and through understanding that we're all the same, that there's a major struggle there, and it's, that's all changed. But in my head, because I had never really readdressed it, I still was thinking that Jesse Jackson was shit, that he was nothing special. And that's probably why I was standing in the crowd surrounded by a bunch of terrible potential soldiers a sea of misfits, and I'm standing there crying about a pedestrian speech by an aging civil rights hero. And that's not to discount the speech. It was fantastic. But, I, but what it was really the most moving to me, I think, was that, holy smokes, I've been giving this guy the wrong treatment inside my head. And he wasn't a person I even really thought about. And when I did, it always went to a parody of him, and then I moved on. Not anymore. And it taught me who else am I doing that? It made me ask the question, who else am I doing that for? And what else am I doing that for? Yesterday, Jessica and I had to head up north to uh, Fuckface County to deal with the case of the missing evidence in front of magistrate misogyny. And on the way up there, where you have to merge from I-69 onto I-75 near Flint, I'm heading east. We're almost to that exit. And like it does every single time I'm there, a memory pops up. It's an old box from up top in the attic there. And I blow the dust off it every time, except there really is no dust because it's always access because we make the drive an awful lot. And it's a funny memory, so I like to think about it. And I, as is my style, I like to tell it again, as if Jessica hasn't heard it before. And the story goes as follows. I was 16 years old. I had just received my learner's permit for my driver's license. 
We had been out west in Grand Haven visiting my brother and his wife. And on the way back, it was suggested that I could make the, the full three-hour drive. That I needed to get a certain amount of hours, but realistically, I needed experience before they could trust me to go out on my own. And so it was a good opportunity. It was going to be in a time that wasn't super busy is what the thought was. Now, I can tell you that my, my lens on the whole thing was that it was fucking a mad dash to back to Essexville. Like, every car in the goddamn country was heading to Essexville from Grand Haven that weekend. So I'm, I'm already nervous, but I'm confident, and I'm concerned about looking confident, so you better believe that the nerves were being hidden. We're driving. We stop for gas somewhere halfway home about before we get to the 7569 interchange. And as I go to open the car door... My mom puts her hand up on the, on the car door, stops me from opening it. Like she's a concerned wife of an alcoholic about to take the wheel. I said, Mom, what, what are you doing? Gary, Gary, I don't think he can handle that hairpin turn at 69 and 75. I don't think he can handle that hairpin turn. I just, it's too much. In my head, I'm thinking, there's a hairpin turn? What's that? Like, is that like Dead Man's Gorge or something? Or the creepy house at the end of the block that all the kids think a witch resides in? What the fuck is a hairpin turning? You know what? God damn it. No, I don't think I'm ready. How could I be? I don't even know what it is. Ah, he's fine. He's got to learn someday. And as was the case, my dad won that discussion. And now I'm on a countdown against time. I got 15 miles before I get to the hairpin turn. Dead man's gorge. I'm ill-prepared. My knuckles are sweaty. Palms are sweaty. Oh, shit. Mom's spaghetti. This is my chance, though. I wasn't going to wrap down at the shelter. I was making this hairpin turn. I believe my dad fell asleep in that short window of time as well from the gas station to the hairpin turn. So now I've just got a backseat driver and my mom, who's already kind of an anxious person. I'm going crazy. We get up there too, and I'm probably taking the turn at a good eight to 10 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, I think I lowered the intensity of the drive, but you can imagine why I did that. And I made it through successfully, and we're, we live to talk about it. But I think about that every time I go to that place now, every time, and it's a place I've been to a thousand times. And while I look back at it fondly, and I look back at it filled with caricatures and little nuances that may or may not have been the case, but it kind of indicates how the, you know, the family dynamic was. And so I look back on that fondly. But I also look back on it, and it does create a little bit of anxiety in me, and it got me thinking. This was just on the heels of what I remembered about Jesse Jackson or what I realized about Jesse Jackson. What are we hanging on to? Even the smallest things, even things that we view as funny. Jesse Jackson was funny on In Living Color. It wasn't malicious. It was a funny thing. The hairpin turn is a funny thing. But it still created in me something that ultimately wasn't positive for who I am. It wasn't positive for how I'm believing about things. It wasn't positive for my, my behavior. Like It wasn't going to inform me to be as, the way that was closer to the truth. And isn't that what the goal is, to be closer to the truth? Hairpin turns aren't anything scary. Now, don't, if you're a young 16-year-old, don't get cocky. Because there was one time on that very same hairpin turn where I ended up just staying to the far right and just getting off at the next exit. I know what you're thinking, Mom. Yeah, you just did that because you wanted to get FUD records. But 
I wasn't that deceitful. So this week, as has become the case, I guess I'm coaching you guys on what to do. I'm a fuck up myself, but I guess this is how it's going to work. I hope you aren't feeling like this is preachy. But just because this happened to me this week, two things that I really realized that I was hanging on to from the past, and it was informing my decisions and my behavior now. So let's look for these things. Let's think about this. What else might I be looking at from the wrong lens through some filter that was created as a young kid? I imagine it's everything, right? It's got to be everything. What about you? What are some things that you fear? What are some places that you would never go on the basis of what you already know about them? Tribal knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Particularly when a lot of the knowledge that we consume and ultimately form opinions with comes when we're young. Before we can really confirm or validate that the source is even good. I mean, no offense, but my mom is no expert on highway safety or road architecture or hairpin turns for that matter. I don't even think she uses hairpins. Now, at least in that case, it keeps me... I still drive a little slower on that bad boy than I should. So to that end, maybe she was maybe her plan worked. She drilled it into my head that the hairpin dinner was a dangerous place. It's haunted me. But I know that when I went to Japan for the first time, I was like, oh my goodness, this isn't what I expected. But then I started thinking while I was there, what what I, what was I expecting? And not only what was I expecting, but based on what? Mr. Baseball, the movie with Tom Selleck, Lost in Translation with Bill Murray, and those are pretty accurate representations. So I was actually probably looking at it more through some racist, stereotypical Hollywood lens. That's your assignment this week, fanatics. Identify some things that you have highly negative perceptions on and then seek out to challenge those beliefs, those preconceptions. And you have to seek out there with the intention of challenging them. If you're going out there to validate them, I guarantee you will. Because you look in all the right places. I could have looked at Jesse Jackson's speech pattern and some of the racial overtones and, and very easily shoehorn that into my pre-existing erroneous belief. I could just avoid the hairpin turn forever, which is what a lot of people do after being warned about something. Avoid it forever. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to drive a fucking 100 miles an hour next time I'm on that hairpin turn. I'm going to do it. Dead man's curve, beat it. You're no match for me. I got a little confidence now because a 1,000 people listen to a four podcast of mine. Famous last words. Cocky, amateur, volunteer podcaster dies at dead man's curve. Mother says, I told him. I got time for one little more thing here. As a lot of you Michiganders know, Furniture Outlet Art Van is closing its doors. It's going out of business. 
Art Van was always there for me on every Flags Day, President's Day, 9-11 Remembrance Day. There wasn't a holiday that was too sacred for Art Van to have its final blowout sale. Each one was bigger than the last. You'll never get another deal like this until the next trivial holiday. James Polk's birthday. It's a lazy boy blowout. They send pre-recorded calls. They're one of the original spam artists. Hey, it's John, the manager. Hi. And then just continues to roll through a recording. If you're like me, you continue those conversations because it's funny. Come down to Flag Day this week, sir. So you can imagine my disbelief when I open the paper to read that Art Van is going through some faux charade to pretend like they're going out of business so they can quote-unquote liquidate? And people are falling for this? You know two weeks later they're having a grand reopening, baby. Best prices ever. That's got to be it, right? That's got to be it. I guess maybe that's just what I want to believe because the idea of their staff of 3,000 desperate borderline sociopaths are walking around now trying to sling tacos somewhere all pushy. Well, we can get additional lettuce if you just give us 30 days. 0.9% financing on that sack of tamales. I used to wear sunglasses in the art van just to avoid eye contact. One thing I would always do is dress a little bit worse when I went to art van. That's a good tip. May God rest Art Van's soul. It was a good run, you pushy bastards. Now I hope the company can relax on the big lazy boy in the sky. That's, that's going to do it. Hope you enjoyed the show. All right, take it away, Mr. Joe Gentleman. Peace. I seen the waves of California. Georgia Well, I've been around, you know, but not one place quite like home Let's bring it on home Let's bring it on home, baby 616 event calling Let's bring it on home Let's bring it on home, baby 616 event calling Let's bring it on home Let's bring it on home, baby 616 event calling Let's bring it on Six.